You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hello and welcome to the program. Are you tired? Is your life a little stale? If you thought yes to either of those questions, too embarrassed to even say it out loud, let me assure you you're not alone. We're wealthier but sadder than generations before us, so what are we doing wrong? Tonight we join Dr. Corbett for a series of discussions he's titled A Journey Through the Psalms as he seeks to discover the keys to enriching your life. Father, as we open up your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. Help us to hear your voice. Father, we want to have ears to hear what you want to say to us so that we can live lives worth living. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we've uh, just gone through finding meaning and purpose for our lives, and now we're going to go on a journey. We're going to go on a journey through the Psalms. And as we look at the Psalms, we're going to be particularly focusing on how we can enrich our lives, add, add meaning and value to our lives, have a life that's, that's uh, rich in fullness. And, and, and as we do that, I'm mindful that even on the trip we, we were on, we, we chose not to hire a car in, in our stay over in uh, Western Australia. We chose to use public transport, and that was quite interesting um, Perth has got a brilliant public transport system and uh, we're on, we're on the, the buses there and it was interesting just watching some of the people that got on the buses. Now being a bit of a student of people, you know, you just like to watch people. Well, some, some people you couldn't help but notice as they got on the bus and, and, and what was interesting was some, some of the people over the, the few days we were there got on the bus and just started almost just opening up to complete strangers and just telling their story of, of how, you know, their wife had just left them or their girlfriend had just dumped them or a boyfriend had done this or done that. And, and one, one young man got on the bus um, with a, a can of Jim Bean and it didn't look like his first can or didn't sound like his first can. And, and he got on the bus and he's, he's sharing you know, uh, the, the tragedy of what had just happened to him. And I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking, man, you're, you're, trying, to live, you're trying to live on your own, aren't you? You're trying to live by yourself. You're, you're trying to figure this all out without any help, aren't you? You're, you're, you? You think life can be lived without the help of anyone else, that you'll get it right and you'll sort it out and you'll do it. And I didn't think it was fair that I come up and share those thoughts with him, but I just listened. And then over the course of the weekend, he was just one of several that, that were on these various buses that were on. And, and just listen, you just hear the tragedy of, of what goes on in people's lives. And it was a common denominator that, that most of them were just simply trying to live life the best they knew how. And, and I don't think that's the way we're being created to live the life the best we know how because I believe the creator has given us a number of clues in his word that will help us to live life the way life is meant to be lived. So as we look at enriching your life, you know, I hope that we're going to discover the secrets of happiness, true happiness. I hope, 
as we journey through the Psalms, you're going to get a new appreciation for the Psalms as well. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 16 and verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11. And we'll hold this as a key text uh, for the rest of this discussion. I heard recently that uh, over the last 40 years, which is essentially a generation, 40 to 50 years, the average Australian is now four times wealthier than a generation ago. So we've got, we've got people who are, you know, uh, who could look back on their parents' lives and say, you know, I'm now, in where I'm at right now in my life, four times wealthier than my parents were at this same stage. That is staggering. And uh, Australia, by all economic reports, is going through a huge boom at the moment, and Tasmania has not been left out of that. And we've, you know, many of us have experienced the blessing that come with uh, that, that financial boom that's happening. But, you know, simultaneously, not only are we four times wealthier, we're four times more depressed. The depression rates over the last 40 to 50 years have gone up four times. We're a sadder country than we were a generation ago. And one of the concerns I have is that there are Christians who are living sad lives. Not lives that are full, not lives that are being enriched, lives that are based on the wrong values. The wrong values. Psalm 16, verse 11, says this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of what? Joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. Look at those two words. Joy and pleasure. Who would have thought you could associate the word Christian with the word joy and the word pleasure. Who would have thought? But here we're taking our key text. It actually says in the presence of God, there is great joy and great pleasure. Who would have thought that church could be a place where you could experience joy and actually find it pleasurable? I remember growing up, being dragged along to church, having done everything I could to get out of going. And I think I've told you the story of the day I realised that cars needed batteries to start. And as a young boy, I realised all you've got to do is flatten the battery and you don't have to go to church. Because if we don't drive, we don't go. So I remember I just cunningly got out of the car the night before and I knew that there was a light on in the glove box. I just reached over and I just opened the glove box as we got out, thinking that that light would drain the battery the next morning and we wouldn't have to go to church. Because church was boring. Church was just a waste. And so we got in the car the next morning and I'm, you know, smirking a bit, you know, an eight-year-old smirk. 
And my mum just sat down and just closed the glove box. Dad started the car and just drove out. Well, that foiled that plan. So then I had to try faking sleeping in. Now, while the new age value of this current era is tolerance, I grew up in a home that had none. No tolerance for not towing the family line. And when I think the morning I faked sleeping in, I think my dad solved the problem by coming in with a glass of water and I think he poured it on me. And that got me up and we were away to church. So I tried everything to get out of church. And then when I was there, I used to count the bricks and I used to, I used to you know, just because it was just like... Interestingly, years later, about 20 years later, I heard a tape of the pastor. We had a man by the name of Reverend Peter Payne. And I was listening to this man and I thought, wow, this is good. Who's this guy? What a great Bible teacher he is. Then I pulled the cassette. I looked at it. It was the pastor that I had when I was a little snotty-nosed brat trying to get out of going to church. That's who it was. I was sitting under great teaching and didn't even, wasn't even hearing it, wasn't even getting it. And that actually says something about spiritual condition. You know, when your spiritual condition is where you are not prepared to surrender to God, God, his house, his presence, his service is very, very hard. It's very hard. It's very mundane. It's very routine. It's very draining. But when your heart is inclined toward God, all of those things are made a whole lot easier. At your, in your presence, at your right hand, is joy. The fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I believe God wants us to come into a, a place, as we're going to see in the Psalms, where we, we really do enjoy him we enjoy life and we we begin to take on what the amplified bible says is a life worth envying you know as the amplified bible opens up blessed and then in brackets it puts its definition of blessed you know a life to be envied a life to be envied and that's what being blessed is that people can look at us being blessed and go what have you got because i want it the great C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis describes this senior demon. The senior demon is known as Screwtape. And he's writing to a younger demon, called, or, or sorry, a junior demon called Wormwood. And as Screwtape writes to Wormwood, the discussion goes something like this as they're exchanging correspondence. Screwtape asks Wormwood, how is your patient going? And Wormwood says, I've lost him. Screwtape replies, why, what happened? He said, well, I tried to distract him. I tried to keep him diverted. I tried even to discourage him, but the enemy was too great for me. Why? What did the enemy do? 
Well, it's not so much what the enemy did immediately, it was what the patient did as he pursued the enemy. Oh, he wrote, screw tape writes, what, you let the patient pursue the enemy? Don't you realise how fatal to our cause that is? He says, I know, but it started off innocently enough. He just began to read the enemy's book. And as he read the enemy's book, I thought he would read it like all the other Christians read it. But not this one. This one actually invited the enemy to speak to him as he read the enemy's book. And I thought, well, maybe I haven't lost him yet. But then he started to take walks each morning before work. And as he walked, not only did he pray, like some Christians do, he began to admire the enemy's creation. He began to glorify the enemy as he basked in the wonder of the enemy's creation. And then that fueled his prayer life to the enemy. Screw tape writing to Wormwood said, you fool. You let a patient get through the grip of your fingers by allowing him to take pleasure in the enemy. Never let that happen again. From now on, when you're working with our patients, make sure you make their reading of the enemy's book a dry, dull routine. Make sure that if they're going to pray, you also make it a ritual not a heartfelt, pleasurable thing. Wormwood says, I'll try better next time. The enemy knows that if you begin to take pleasure in God, you're a very hard person for him to crack. Very hard for him to crack indeed. Well, I want you to think as you read through the Psalms, that when you see these words, delight and pleasure, have a look at them. I want you to notice as you read through the Psalms that the word pleasure originates more from God than from the psalmist. Have a think about it as you read through the Psalms. You will find the Lord takes pleasure occurs over and over and over again. But you'll also find Psalms like Psalm 111, verse 2. It says this, The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. The Message Bible puts it this way, God's works are so great, worth a lifetime of study, Endless enjoyment. The psalmist said that not only could he meditate on God and take great delight and great pleasure from that, but he could actually look at what, what the Lord had done. The works of the Lord. And just take great pleasure in the works of the Lord. Great, take, take great pleasure in what he'd seen the Lord do. We find this all through the Psalms. For example, if we, if we ask this question, what are the works of the Lord? Because if we can discover that, we can discover how our lives can be enriched. 
how we can develop a security, how we can develop an intimacy in our life that will allow us to not only have an intimacy with God, but an intimacy with others. I have discovered that my relationship with my wife is hindered or helped by my relationship with God. And I'll suggest to you that your relationship with God will have the same effect on on the key relationships in your life. You'll find that thought in the first epistle of John, 1 John. He says that over and over, you cannot love the brother you see if you can't love the God you can't, and so on. You see that connection there. What are the works of God? As you read through the Psalms, I want you to notice this. In Psalm 8, it starts out, this is one of the first Psalms that I memorized. O Lord... Our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take any thought of him? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And I... I imagine that David, who wrote that psalm, may have written that when he was a young shepherd boy, lying on the green fields of Canaan, somewhere overlooking his sheep in Judea. At night, the sheep are safe in the pen he's made for them. Hands behind his head, lying back on the green grass, looking up at the night sky and going, wow. You did that. Wow. There was a fellow by the name of Carl Sagan, who was a, an atheist scientist. He's now dead, but he wrote a book called The, um, was it the Small Blue Dot. And he said, that's Earth. He said, from out in the galaxy, Earth appears to be just a small blue dot. Totally insignificant. And this thought, as he put out in the 60s and 70s and 80s, essentially said that the universe is so vast, Earth is just one planet out of hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of planets, and Earth is nothing in particular. Do you know now with the latest Voyager satellite pictures, they've discovered that the the universe is, is a band They can show our galaxy as a band. And interestingly, Earth is positioned not in an inconsequential part of it, but in in the most significant part of it. And they've, they've shown now, scientists have shown, that the things that we thought were just coincidental are not coincidental at all. They're actually vital to life on Earth. Like, for example, the distance of the moon from the Earth and the size of the moon and so on. It's as if somebody's thought this through. It's as if a designer has made it this way. And it is. And David the psalmist was thinking about the works of God. And it put his life in perspective. It put his life in perspective. Sometimes we lose perspective of our life. And our life is not enriched. Sometimes we have pity parties. Anyone ever have one of those? Sometimes we have pity parties where the focus becomes 
woe is me, poor me, nobody loves me, why doesn't somebody think about me? Like you, why don't you think about me for a change? Because nobody else does. Well, you know, they now know that depression is largely exacerbated when we only think of ourselves. One of the greatest cures to selfishness in children is to get them when they don't tidy their room up or whatever, or don't share their toys, to actually give their toys away to underprivileged children. You know, as a family, and I'm sure many families in this church do it as well, we, we have sponsored over the years various children, and I think we've, we've sponsored about three or four Vietnamese children. We've currently also got uh, a young African girl in Burkina Faso, and we have a picture there, and uh, we send off a monthly contribution, and we pray for her as a family. And it does wonders for our kids so that when they think life is a bit tough for them, they can think out and beyond themselves. Here's David lying on the green hills of Judea, looking up the stars. And all of a sudden, you know, he could think, wow, look at this vast universe that you created. God, you must be busy. God, you must have so much on your mind. God, I must be so insignificant that you don't even give me a thought. But you know what? That's not what Psalm 8 says. Psalm 8 actually says the very fact that you have created all of this vastness and you think of me. Do you get that? And you know that I exist. And you know everything about me. God, you are awesome. How excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, I don't care what you're going through to the extent that I do care, but I don't care if you think nobody cares because somebody does. And you can start to enrich your life. You can start to put security into your life. You can start to put the very things that you feel you haven't got into your life when you have a vital connection with God. Now, that doesn't go for people, doesn't just go for people who don't know God. That goes for each one of us. We all need to be in that connected relationship with God. Psalm 104, I'm not sure who wrote this psalm, but this this psalmist in Psalm 104 looks at the creation of God. He looks at the wonders of God. He begins to say, he begins to look at some of the insignificant things. He begins to say, uh, Psalm 104, uh, I think it's verse 4, somewhere in there, he says, even you created the lion, but not Not just did you create the lion, you created the prey for the lion. Wow, God. Wow. Not only are you thinking of us as humans, but you're thinking of every animal on the planet. Every animal you've you've created, you know, and you're looking after them. The wonders of creation, the works of God. Some of us do need to take a walk through the bush. Some of us do need to take a walk through a really good garden. Some of us need to get out in our garden and just marvel a bit. The psalmists did. Their life was enriched when they they took the focus off their own lives and put it on to the God who gave them life. And as their focus was on that God, one psalmist marvels at the stars out in the sky. Another psalmist marvels at the plants and the animals around him. And these men come to the same conclusion. The conclusion is, 
Wow, you're awesome, God. You're awesome. And it changed their lives. It had a radical impact on their lives. Psalm 105, the next psalm after that, the psalmist talks about history. This psalmist, possibly Ezra, is marvelling at the history of God's redemption. Redemption means how God has intervened and brought things back to where it should be. He marvels at this. Perhaps you and I need to read God's word and marvel at the history that we have in our hands. As we marvel, as we go back through the Old Testament and we read the stories of these people that God used, it takes the focus off us and our situation and our problems and it puts the focus onto him. And when our focus is on him, our lives are made rich. Psalm 105, the history of God's redemption. And perhaps the most obvious one is Psalm 1. And I'd like you to turn there now. Psalm 1. If we're going to have a journey through the Psalms, we'd better have a look at Psalm 1. Because Psalm 1, written by Ezra, Psalm 1 uh, is one of several Psalms that he wrote. He almost definitely wrote Psalm 119 as well, the longest psalm in the Bible. And Ezra was probably the one who collated. He brought all of these psalms together from the various writers, the sons of Asaph, and there's Solomon, and there's Moses, and there, there are other psalmists who contributed to this. David contributed a large portion of the psalms. And I think it was Ezra who put Psalm 1 together as almost like the editor's psalm in in essence he's introducing the whole of the book of psalms to us there are actually five books that make up the book of psalms and he says this blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord did you notice that word delight The Psalms are going to take us on a journey from anguish to delight. The Psalms are going to take us on a journey from despair to delight. The Psalms are going to take you where you're going to meet people who were absolutely at a loss as to why their life was where it was. And it's going to show you that they eventually come back to God and worship him. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And with that, the Psalms begin. And we can see that Ezra had noticed, as he looked at the works of God, we've seen that one of the Psalmists looked at the works of God in the galaxy, the universe. Another one looked at the works of God in the creation around about us. Another one looked at it down through history, can marvel at God. And Ezra looked at it, in the everyday life of two types of people. 
the one who made God his delight and the one who did not. And this contrast is going to appear through the book of Psalms and it's going to help us to find God in our lives. Psalm 37, verse 4. If you could turn to that. Psalm 37, verse 4. Here's the thought. A life well lived is an enriched life. Sometimes my children have asked me in various circumstances for asking, but various reasons. They ask, Daddy, are we rich? And I've never said, no. We may not have any money in our pockets or the bank. We may not know where the next point of provision is coming from. But yet I believe you can live a rich life because of what you know and who you know. And as we explore this, I hope that you understand that while Australians are four times materially wealthier, that they are four times more depressed, that enrichment does not just come from material possessions. The Psalms talk about a whole lot of other things that make your life rich. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Did you notice that? Delight yourself in the Lord. My question today is, do you? Do you? Do you delight in the Lord? Is he the delight of your life? Recently, I had someone uh, come and see me and, and said, you know, I just, I just don't seem to be able to connect with God. And I went through some of the, the most fundamental basic things about coming to God and inviting him to be Lord of your life. And they said, yeah, yeah, I think I've done that. And, And then we went through the issue of repentance, turning away from the life and the the ways that you had before and taking on his life and his ways. I said, yeah, I think I've done that. And they said, just nothing's happened. And this troubled me for weeks and weeks and weeks. It still troubles me. But you know, as I thought about it, I thought, you couldn't have. You couldn't have surrendered to God. The Psalms say, Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. You come to God with an open heart. If you open your heart to him, something will change. Your life will become different. And that's my challenge to you now. You know, I've got another excerpt here of uh, screw tape letters and And he talks about, uh, again, Screwtape is asking Wormwood for another update on another patient, as they call them. And uh, it, it starts off by saying this, I note what you're saying about guiding your patient's reading and taking care that he sees a good deal of his materialist friend. But are you not being a trifle naive? 
It sounds as if you supposed that argument was the way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. Then the senior demon warns him, don't get him thinking about Christianity at all. Because the problem is once you start to think, eventually you'll realise truth from error. So he warns him against that. He then goes on and says to Wormwood, when he begins to hear the enemy, when he senses the enemy, it's then that you must distract him. He, he says here, the trouble about argument or reasoning is that it moves the whole struggle onto the enemy's ground. You understand the enemy's God. He can argue too. Whereas in really practical propaganda of the kind I'm suggesting, he has been shown for centuries to be greatly the inferior of our father below. By the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reasoning. Once it is awake, who can foresee the result? Even if a particular train of thought can be twisted so as to end in our favour, you will find that you have actually been strengthening in your patient the fatal habit of attending to big issues and withdrawing his attention from the immediate sense experiences. He goes on and says to this junior demon, whatever you do, whenever you see the enemy about to work in the patient's life, immediately get him to delay the decision. Put it off. Procrastinate. Tell him there's plenty of time. Tell him you don't have to decide to follow the enemy, the creator right now. Get him to delay it. And the more you can convince the patient to delay it, the more chance you've got of distracting him. The more chance you've got of distracting him, the less likely he is to give his life totally to God. And as I read that, I realised that's not just the battle that non-Christians are engaged in. It's the battle that you and I are engaged in too. The enemy seeks to distract us. The enemy wants to get us to delay fully surrendering to God. I want to suggest to you there should be no delay. We should delight ourselves in God. We should take pleasure in Him. In His presence is joy and pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will be a people that know how to delight ourselves in you. Father, there are some here today who have allowed the enemy to distract them. They have allowed things to be put off. There are issues that the Spirit of God is dealing with us on. And yet we've put it off. We've delayed. And now, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that live enriched lives, a people that know how to live a life that is connected to you. Father, I pray for those right now within the sound of my voice who are going through relationship breakdown. That, Lord, they won't turn to alcohol, they won't turn to drugs, they won't turn to illicit relationships like some of the people that I met on this bus just a few days ago. But, Lord, they'll begin to cry with a heartache. God, God, I want to know you. Please come and fill that gap in my life. Perhaps there are Christians here today and you know that you've allowed your relationship with God to become something other than a pleasure and a delight. I invite you back. 
I invite you back. I invite you to come. But right now I pray, Spirit of God, have your way in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Enriching your life. Have you been distracted by the enemy, caught up in a pity party? God hasn't gone anywhere. Perhaps it's just your focus that's a little out. Dr. Corbett continues his journey through the Psalms next week. If you'd like to purchase a CD copy of tonight's program to listen again in your own time or refer to a friend, you can do so for $5.50, including postage and handling. Finding Truth Matters resources are available from the website www.findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Just quote the program title, Journey Through the Psalms, Session 1. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is produced by Lagana Media and we look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.